Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. I'm excited today to be here with Dave Macronis, who's director at CARE, to talk about CARE's journey to cooling as a service. Dave, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's great to be with you. Thank you for being here. Okay, so before we dig into the conversation, and there's a lot to it, um, tell our listeners a bit about yourself and also a bit about CARE. Sure. Uh, so I'm a director at CARE. Uh, I've been with them for about 12 years. Uh, and CARE is a cooling as a service business that's been in Asia for about 70 years uh, in various different lines of cooling uh, for businesses and, and buildings around Southeast Asia. Uh, and we pivoted to cooling as a service back in 2012. Uh, and we offer that to industrial buildings and commercial buildings. So, you, you know, your offices, your shopping malls, uh, data centers, pharmaceutical manufacturing, uh, those sorts of facilities. Uh, and that's sort of now our core of business. Um, and as we're expanding throughout the region into India and some other Asian markets, that's our only offering that we're, we're bringing to those markets. Okay. Okay. So, um, okay, good. And you're based in Singapore, correct? Yes. Okay, awesome. All right, so it's it's nighttime Dave's time, morning time Sarah's time. Uh, so, good. All right, so, um, you know, one of the things that, that I really loved in talking with you, Dave, is the conviction you have around this business model, right? And so, you know, I think that's evident. You said you started this journey in 2012. And I think, you know, that's certainly on on the early side, in my opinion, for the industry and, and you know, probably the region, et cetera. Um, so, you know, before we, we dig into the specifics of the journey, can you talk a little bit about, you know, where that strong belief comes from that this business model is you know, the path, um, not only for care, but for a lot of other organizations. Yeah, so I think you're right. Back in 2012, cooling as a service wasn't a term. Um, there was no such thing um, in our industry. I mean, servitization had been happening around the world in different industries, but nothing in cooling. And for the first three to four years, we didn't know if we were crazy or uh, had a great idea. Uh, because no one else was doing it. And I think it sort of it came around, it was actually, I wasn't involved in the decision to move to cooling as a service, but my CEO was, and he was talking with our chairman back in 2012 and asking the question essentially, why couldn't you servitize cooling? And they were going through all the reasons that you couldn't do it. And essentially every time they came up against a reason, they said, well, okay, let's investigate that a little bit more. Let's see how we would apply it. And let's try it. I think that the key thing was they tried it in 2012 and we got our first project in 2013. And as that went along, I think we learned more about the power of the business model. And the more I learn about it, the more I speak to people like yourself um, and other professionals in, in the industry, uh, the more I'm convinced that we've made the right decision. Uh, and I think you know we see this momentum gaining uh, and this transition to cooling as a service uh, that is doing two things. I think one is it's delivering a far better experience for our customers. Um, anyone who has, you know, was used to buying CDs and has moved to Spotify or was used to, you know, going to Blockbuster and then signing into Netflix, it's a very obvious difference. Um, and it's chalk and cheese in terms of the, the experience you get as a customer. So I think that was the first thing that became apparent to us. 
The second thing was, you know, we have a real challenge specifically with cooling um, in that um, people that are in the built environment may, might be aware of this, but people that aren't won't be aware of the significant impact that cooling plays in terms of meeting some of our sustainability and climate change uh, goals and targets. So in 2015, in Paris, we set up this, this agreement that said we would limit the global temperatures rise by two degrees or 1.5 degrees. Now that's something that everyone understands and is working towards. But what people don't understand is that cooling has a major impact on whether we can do that or not. Uh, it's almost make or break. If we can solve the cooling challenge, we can make it. If we can't, we won't. Um, in that cooling now makes up 10% of the world's energy consumption. That's today. Uh, the demand for cooling is going to triple in the next 30 years. So if we don't have more sustainable systems and better performing systems, essentially the energy consumption of the world will be 30% cooling. Um, so that's, that's untenable. We, we can't manage that. So I think the customer-centric benefits of the model is what drew us to it. And now it's really being, we're seeing that it's the most sustainable way and really the only way to, to hit these goals in terms of sustainability. So that's why I think we're getting more and more passionate about it um, because we see it as, as the answer. I mean, it's, it's not the silver bullet, but it is by yeah. transitioning to this, this business model, it, it really can make a difference. Yeah. Okay. So I love what you said about when, when you started in 2012, you didn't know if you were crazy or if you were onto something, right? Um, because, you know, to me, that is a very accurate description of true innovation, right? Um, you know, because you, you aren't jumping on a bandwagon at that point, you know, you aren't, um, making a minor enough change that, it's very comfortable, right? Like it's, that's an uncomfortable feeling, but I think that is um, a real signal of real innovation, right? And so I just think it's interesting um, to, to point that out and, uh, and to let folks know that sometimes the most significant, um, you know, evolutions come from a place of being very uncertain and being very uncomfortable. And to your point, just trying it out. Right. You know, you can have a contingency plan. If this doesn't go well, we can do X or we can revert to the standard. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of the uh, the leaders, um, the category leaders are are in those positions because they were willing to take some risk. Um, so and, and okay. on, that, on that, Sarah, so so when yeah. we first did this, you're right. There was no data. There was no one we could look to to understand, is this going to be successful or not? And what we did is, I mean, we work for a, a company that allows us to try new things. Um, and you're right, we tried it. So we added, uh, we added it as a service offering. So we did all of our legacy work that we had done for seven years in cooling. And then we said, okay, let's add this as a product or as a, as a service. Um, and as we, we started it and got a few customers on board, we collected that data. Um, and the two, and so what we did is for about five years, we actually offered all of our legacy business products and these, these as a service offering as well. And then after about five years, we looked at the data and there was two metrics we looked at. Um, the first was NPS, Net Promoter Score. And we measured the Net Promoter Score of our legacy products. And it was okay. I can't say it was bad. Mm -hmm. It was just okay. Um, we looked at the Net Promoter Score of our cooling as a service portfolio and it's 57%. Uh, which is extremely high. Um, so, you know, our customers were just way happier and we were the same people. 
you know, the same people that were offering the legacy products were offering the as a service model. So it really was the power of the model which, which unlocked that. The second thing was the sustainability metrics. Um, we had been talking about sustainability and performance of cooling systems since 1993 when CARE, when CARE opened its stores. It, the CARE was set up on that premise. Um, and we were doing okay, you know, building by building, we were making inroads and making an impact, but it wasn't significant. With, with cooling as a service, we've never been in a position that, like we've been in now to make a real considerable difference. So I was, I was watching this thing just this morning. Um, there was something, I think it was on the BBC or, or LinkedIn or something, and it talked about there's a facility, I think it's in Denmark, it's somewhere in Europe, that is doing carbon capture. And it said it's capturing 4,000 metric tons of carbon from the air every year. And I, I read that and I went and looked at our portfolio and our portfolio saves 55,000 metric tons of carbon every year. So it, just the impact we could have is just massive. And that's the cooling as a service business alone. Um, so when we looked at those two bits of data, the sustainability metrics and the MPS metrics, uh, we actually decided in 2018 to stop all of the legacy business and just focus everything on cooling as a service because we can't be distracted by the past. We have to really go all in. Uh, but it was scary and you know, it took us five years to get that data to, to make that decision. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's also an important point, Dave, for the audience, which is, you know, you want to take risk, you want to take calculated risk, right? So this idea of when you were doing this, you didn't know if you were crazy, right? Which is the the calculated part came from not just shutting off the rest of the business, right? You decided to to offer this as a choice to see how it went and to to test it out. Now, over that five years, you know, not only do you have the data on NPS and you have the data on the sustainability impact, but you know, you also are building up you know, I would imagine a variety of customer testimonials that you can leverage so that when you do decide to go all in, you have a lot of proof points, you know, behind you to say, you know, here's why we're doing this. Here's why we know that this will work, you know, et cetera. So it's, you know, you, you didn't just, you know, jump off a cliff without a parachute, right? You did so in a way that was was pragmatic, um, but allowed you to get to this point of being able to, you know, have the factual evidence to back up the decision to go all in, right? Um, yeah, and I think it was actually, so there's two points of the decision-making process. The first was to try it, which was back in 2012, 2013. The second one was to discontinue or phase out our other product lines. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is in 2018. Now, you would think that that would be the scariest point, but by that time, we had convinced ourselves and a, and a large enough base in Singapore and in other markets in Asia that this was the way forward. So actually, it, that was not a hard decision to make in 2018 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, because it was backed up by data. Right. That makes sense. So maybe this is an unfair question, Dave, because you already said that in 2012, when that initial decision was made, you weren't really a part of it. But if you you know, have the backstory. I'm just curious if you're in that place where you're wondering, are we crazy or is this going to work? Um, what, what was the initial catalyst that sparked, you know, the idea within care of, okay, we think this is a feasible opportunity and we want to give it a go. Like what was the so, primary driver? So I do know the backstory. So actually it was, it was a conversation between our chairman and, and our CEO and they were having a discussion around 
why can't we just sell air? If they didn't think about servitization or after service, they said, well, if we sell cool air, why can't we sell that? And I think they had a discussion around Evian water. You know, how can we brand, you know, they managed to brand water and sell water. So why can't we do the same thing with air? Um, and, and that was what led them to start thinking about essentially instead of selling equipment and selling products that people needed to make air, can we sell air itself? Uh, and I think it was an idea that, that was sort of thrown around a few evenings, uh, but then very quickly jumped on by a CEO who started putting it together and say, what would that look like? And I, I think that was the thing that was important for us was that, so Justin Taylor is our CEO and he's been with us, I think since 1995. Uh, and he had this this discussion. He said, well, let's, let's see what it would look like. Um, so looked at some various different models, how you would do it. And essentially servitization was then not really so much as, as a known thing as it is now. So looking at different industries, what they were doing and seeing how we would do that. And then put together a contract, uh, put together some mm -hmm. plans and went and saw some customers. And then it was, you know, over those five years, cooling as a service today is nothing like when we started out. Uh, you know, the mm -hmm. contracts are different, the deliverables are different, the level of service is different. So working with our customers to figure this out uh, and put something that we were then confident with in 2018 that we can move forward with, I think was really important. Uh, and you know, he's always been a, a massive advocate of, of the business model um, and really a massive advocate of customer experience. You know, he never talked about equipment. Mm -hmm. He always talked about customer experience, uh, which now is, is obvious. I mean, everyone's talking that way, uh, but back in 2012, it, it wasn't, so, it wasn't so common. For sure. For sure. So Dave, I think that's a really good point is um, what, what you're saying, what it makes me think of is that when I talk to companies that are really struggling with, you know, innovating to the degree that care has when it comes to really doing a 180 of business model, it's often because it's the folks at the top that don't understand the value or don't really want to make a change, right? And so one of the things that comes up very frequently is that, you know, this type of evolution really requires, you know, top level buy-in. So um, your story kind of reinforces that fact. And I think it's, it's um, you know, really interesting to me that in 2012, you know, he had those viewpoints um, because you're absolutely right that you know, in 2021, um, as a service and customer experience are sort of part of our daily vocabulary, but in 2012, they definitely weren't. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's super interesting and I would, um, be interested in picking his brain about that at some point. So, um, but, but kudos to you all for being, um, you know, really on the, the cutting edge, uh, as far as that goes. So, I want to dig in um, a little bit deeper to some of the different areas of impact that the cooling as a service model um, brings for care. So the first is, is the customers. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, that customer experience, because I think that um, it is really important for organizations to understand exactly what it is that their customers want um, and be able to sort of reverse engineer how the business needs to change to deliver that, right? So um, talk a little bit about, you know, what this has allowed you all to provide in terms of a brand new customer experience. 
so I think the the business model itself sort of forces you to be relentlessly focused on the customer. And I think every every company now says they're customer centric. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's what everyone wants to be. But do they actually do it? Uh, is their business set up around it, or do they just talk about how they can help their customers and, and put catchphrases out into the marketplace? So with us, you know, as a service, the only way to keep your customers or to get new customers is by differentiating through that experience. Because at the end of the day, 23 degrees air or 24 degrees air is a commodity. I mean, anyone can put that together. How you deliver it and how you give confidence to your customers that they will have that exactly when they need it with the exact requirements they have is really important. Also, how you build the digital experience around that, how they interact with you as a provider is really important. In, in the past, in old business models, you get customers by price, you get customers by product innovation. So can you get you know, a slightly incremental improvement on the speed of your computer or the size of your screen? It's all product features and price um, and branding and marketing mm-hmm. as well, of course. But if you think about, let's think about Spotify and Apple Music, they are offering very similar things to they're kind of the same people. Um, and, mm-hmm. the, and, you know, I can, I can uh, sign up to Spotify today. I can sign off tomorrow and stop my contract with them. The only way they can hold on to me is by having a better experience. Um, and so it forces you to do it. So you can't, you can't rely on the product innovations or things like that. Um, I think that's the first thing. The second thing is because you, you have, and I talk about this a lot when I talk about circularity and sustainability, but it's equally relevant to customer experience. In that when you have a portfolio of buildings and a portfolio of customers that you're looking after, every customer that you get into that portfolio gives you more data um, and gives you more justification and verification for investing in a customer experience. So you know, if if I had, uh, you know, if I have ten customers and I could invest you know fifty million dollars into something that would improve their experience, it might not be so feasible. If I have a thousand customers and now I invest that money and that improves the service across my entire portfolio, it justifies the investment. So I think, you know, when you're looking at customer experience, you need to look at data and technology, which you can deliver to those customers. And as a portfolio based approach, you have the ability to do that. Um, so we, we have changed dramatically. I mean, we've been talking about you know, cooling for decades. Um, we don't look anything like what we used to five years ago. And that's because of the scale that we have. Uh, because it allows us to invest in technology, it allows us to invest in software and, and that experience. It also means that you shift the kind of people that you bring into your organization. Uh, so, you know, we now, we never had data scientists and app developers and web developers in our company before. That wasn't seen as core to our business. That now, right. in the, as a service world, is absolutely core to our business. It's as core as cooling itself. Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. it really makes you shift the way you approach your customers and where you partner with your customers. And, and also you have very long-term contracts. So this isn't a, you know, go out, win a job, leave the day after. You know, we're, we're with our customers to 10 to, from 10 to 15 years um, and hopefully longer. Um, so our longest customers, like I say, was 2013. Um, and we're looking, we're talking to them now about extending that and, and uh, mm-hmm. staying with them for even longer. So that, that forces you to be customer-centric, I think. Yeah. There's so much in this story that's really cool. And I'm actually thinking, Dave, in real time, uh, not to put you on the spot, but there's a couple areas I would love to have you back to dig into in a full episode, because I just think 
in sort of a telling the initial story type conversation, it's hard to go deep enough on, you know, some different areas. And I think one of those is certainly around risk. I think that the conversation around risk is a really important one because I think it scares a lot of people away or it it forces them to dip their toe in instead of leap, right? And so then what they're doing is not this true shift. It's sort of a watered down version of it, right? Which then doesn't accomplish the objectives that they've set. And then they feel like, oh, it doesn't work. But it doesn't work because they're not doing it the way they need to do it to really, you know, see uh, what the outcome would be. And I think that there's probably a whole conversation we could have just around accepting the risk that comes with this and why, you know, it's it's worth doing that. So if you're game, I might ask you to come back. So I I would love to do that. But just just one or two minutes on on risk. Uh, You're Mm -hmm. absolutely right. Um, when you're working, you know, when you're talking about you know, Netflix and you know, software as a service businesses, it's different when you talk about bricks and mortar, investing millions of dollars into infrastructure, into physical buildings. And, and what happens is the providers then get nervous around return on investment um, or some of the risk around what's going to happen with cooling in the future, because you're now investing CapEx into an asset. Um, the problem is you, you cannot, you, you have to understand what is your business risk and what is your customer's risk? Mm-hmm. And you cannot mitigate your business risk by putting it on your customers through two things, contract clauses and penalties that you, you bake into the business model, um, or essentially tying them down into things or, or locking them into things uh, so you can secure your revenue. Those two things really kill the business model. So whilst you'll be able to mitigate your risk, you will also mm-hmm. essentially scare all your customers away. Uh, and I, and I, I tell this yeah. story, you know, when Netflix came around, they said to me, Dave, give me $10 a month. I'll give you all the movies you want. And I said, I don't really know if you'll have the right movies. I don't really know if, you know, once I've watched them all, what is going to happen. So I said, I'll do it because it's 10 bucks a month. If they had said to me, Dave, it's 10 bucks a month, but you have to sign a 10-year contract and you have to pay me in advance for the first year. And if you terminate the contract, you have to pay me a penalty of, you know, six years worth of revenue. I would have said, mm-hmm. yeah, no, no thanks. I'll stick with my right. blockbuster card. Thanks very much. So, so you have to stay right. true to the business model. And I'd love to talk to you about that. It's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, I think, I think we should do a, a completely separate episode on that because I just think there's too much to get to, you know, that we can't touch on in, in a couple of minutes. But what made me think of that is, you know, as you were describing the Spotify versus Apple experience, and, you know, you can sign up for one today, try it, see if you like it. If you don't like it, switch to the other one tomorrow. And I'm just in my mind seeing people cringe and think, oh, that's not for me, right? Because it's just not the norm. And it it is very scary. But, you know, care is an example of how it can be very worthwhile to take that risk. And I think it would be well worth the time to kind of dive into some of the layers of that and share a bit, you know, how you mitigate it, what you need to just be comfortable with and why it's worth doing that, you know, all of those different things. So, okay. Um, Anything we haven't mentioned uh, in terms of impact on company or sustainability that you think we should um, add? I know we've talked quite a bit about the benefits, of, of the business model, anything else related to the benefits to care and the benefits um, in terms of the circular economy that we should talk about? 
So I, I think sustainability you can look at from a, a building by building approach uh, or angle. Um, and from that, I mean, we could talk a lot about how the systems that we're building and implementing, because you use data, because you use technology, you can be far more sustainable on a building by building approach. But one thing that we found also, and, and it's, a, it's, it's great, you know, when you, when you go into this business model, you keep finding these benefits that you didn't know were there before. Um, and we got a call from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and they said, we want to do a case study on you because we've heard about what you're doing. And they were all about circularity. Uh, so a circular business model, which to be honest with you, when they called, I said, yeah, of course we're circular. And I had no idea what that meant. Uh, so then I went and started reading about it and understanding it a bit more. And the, the, the circularity benefits that you get, so not just around sustainability and energy consumption and, and those sorts of things, but if you're looking at multiple buildings within a portfolio, how do you manage that in the most sustainable and circular way? So at the moment, the cooling industry is very linear. You buy your equipment, you put it into the building, you cannot change it because it's big infrastructure mm -hmm. in the basement of your buildings. As that building goes through its life cycle, if its needs change, you're stuck with the same system that you had when you built it or when you estimated what you were going to need uh, way back when you constructed it. So you're kind of locked into a system and you just have to do the best you can with it. And generally that's not mm -hmm. a great approach. And then at the end, it's end of life. So then you throw it away, you recycle it, you get rid of it and you build a new system. Very, very linear. Now that we're working with the portfolio buildings, we move our equipment around and we're far more circular in terms of our design approach and our operational implementation. So let me give you an example. So during the last two years, we had customers that fell into one of three categories. One was customers that weren't really affected by their cooling requirements. Not so many of those. We had other customers that their cooling requirements fell through the floor. So buildings were shut. People were at home. Mm. You think about offices and you think about shopping malls in the last year, they have essentially been empty uh, across different markets of the world over different times. And then you had other customers on the opposite side of that coin, which their cooling requirements went through the roof because they were in pharmaceutical manufacturing, potentially. They were data centers, so we're all at home now watching Netflix, not in the office. So they actually, the requirements went through the roof. So what would happen in those cases would be the, the customers that had no load anymore, they would have very poorly performing systems. The customers that had increasing capacity, they'd have to throw out their old system and put in new capacity, more capacity, so they could serve that new, new requirement. What, whereas what we could do is we could, we could work with both of those and actually we could, you know, we've got excess, excess, excess capacity over here. We need capacity over here. Let's move it. So what we do is we design modularly. We can plug and play cooling capacity. Um, it doesn't matter what the equipment mm -hmm. is. It just matters how much cooling it can provide. So for our, some of our shopping centers, we would move stuff to our data centers. We had a data center that their, their load, their, their cooling requirements tripled in about an eight month to 12 month period. So, and they had a, a space restriction because they, on their rooftop, they can only have four, four big chillers, four bits of equipment. So what they, were, what they would do in the old world is they would throw away these smaller chillers and put in bigger chillers. What we can do is we can take down those smaller chillers, we can deploy them in other assets and we can put in new technology or increase capacity, but we allow, we sort of allow ourselves that ability to, to be modular in our design. Um, and that's really, really changed the life of our assets.
um, and really extended the life of our assets. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, that's it. So this is, is really interesting too. There's a lot of areas we could dig more into, but, but that makes sense. And I think that, um, you know, the level of, of flexibility you have in how the assets are leveraged, um, to your point, you know, the, the insights you have that you can use when you are responsible for the assets versus the customers, right? And you have all of the information you need um, to to really fully, fully utilize uh, all of those things is, is really impressive. Um, okay, so I have watched a couple presentations of yours, uh, and you're a very good presenter, Dave. Um, I have to say I've been impressed. Um, and I've, I've heard you share a couple of analogies that I would love for you to, to relay to, uh, the audience, because I think they're really interesting. And the first is your cow analogy. So I know usually there's visuals to go along with these, but, um, walk, walk folks through, uh, the cow analogy. So this was how my CEO explained it to me. And then I stole the idea and started presenting it uh, externally. <laughs> So it's not my idea, it was his. But it, the way it goes is that, you know, when we were looking at servitization, we were looking at actually not just servitization, but innovation within different industries. And we looked at different companies and the, the, the standard companies come up when you think about what's disruptive and what's innovative. So it was Zoom, uh, Office 365, Spotify, Netflix, um, you know, IBM Cloud, Amazon Web Services. And we were looking at all these uh, grab food, the, the ride hailing Uber and those sorts of companies. And we sort of said, well, what do these have in common? And what we realized was that what they have in common is, and what we said is that they all stole their business idea from someone else, uh, which mm -hmm. is quite a controversial statement. And then we went on to say they all stole their business idea, not just from someone else, but they stole their business idea from the same person. And the person that they stole it from was a guy called GW Maxwell. So in 1906, I believe it was in the US, GW Maxwell was the guy who invented the milk carton. And he, for the first time allowed, I think it was in San Francisco, I'd have to go back and check, but he allowed people within that area to, instead of owning a cow to get the benefits and getting the milk that they wanted, they could now buy milk. Um, and so we, we sort of have this analogy that you know, we should be buying milk, we shouldn't be buying cows. If we want milk in our coffee mm -hmm. and on our cereal in the morning, you know, none of us own a cow in our house. Um, we just all buy it as a right. service because we have the ability to do so. So it was that milk carton that was the first time we've ever seen the as a service business model utilized, which is back in 1906. Mm -hmm. And since then, every single company that's used that or stolen that idea has disrupted the industry they're in. And it can be in entertainment, it can be in logistics, it can be in ride hailing, it can be in, in cooling. Uh, it's not it's not specific to a particular industry. So, so that's the, the cow analogy. You know, we say buy milk, don't buy cows. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people still trying to sell cows. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, metaphorically, right. And, and so it's, you know, it is such a good uh, analogy because it's, it's very true. It comes back to customers want outcomes, right? Customers want simplicity. They want peace of mind. They want what they need when they need it, not, you know, an entire cow in their backyard full of, of milk that they don't need. Right. Um, so it's a really, it's a really, really good analogy. 
and, and that's, you know, I think that was part of the original conversation that, that Justin was having was, you know, we're selling something that people don't want. People don't want cooling systems. They want cool environments. They want spaces that are comfortable to work in or they want process cooling or whatever it may be. So why are we selling something that people just don't want? It's, it's almost like you have to have this in order to get the benefit that you, that you actually are looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the other analogy is the caterpillar. Yes. So the, the caterpillar effect is something I was looking at a couple of months ago, and it really is odd how it's hard to see this, but as soon as you see it, it just makes so much sense. Uh, so what I was looking at was the performance of cooling systems in different buildings across different markets. And essentially you could look at the performance of systems in terms of their sustainability metrics or their carbon emissions. And I was kind of trying to look at, you know, how, how wide is the spectrum in terms of our performance? And oddly, or sorry, not oddly, it's a very standard bell curve distribution in that you have some people that are doing extremely well, but there's not many of them. You have some people that are doing extremely poorly. And then you have the vast majority of, of us in the middle that are doing okay. And I then was looking at, you know, as we had to improve uh, because of the, the Paris Accord and, and what people were talking about in terms of sustainability, I started looking at how were we moving? How was that distribution changing? And essentially what happens is the people who are at the forefront that, that really care about and have money to invest in, in the performance of their systems, they go and buy new technology, they have more data, um, and they essentially can improve. So the front end of that distribution goes out a bit. And that kind of flattens the, the bell curve. And what happens next is that the technology that was expensive yesterday is not so expensive today because there's newer technology. Mm-hmm. So now the people that were in the middle or further down the back of that bell curve, they have access to more technology and they have access to more data and more wisdom from those guys who went out and tried new things. So they catch up mm-hmm. and then that mm-hmm. keeps happening. So the people at the front go forward and then the rest of the world catches up. People go forward and the rest of the world catches up. And I was just looking, I, was, I did some mm-hmm. slides and I was looking at this animation and it just looked like the way a caterpillar crawls. So, you know, it puts its head <laughs> out first and then it drags the body behind it. It's head out first and yeah. it drags the body behind it. But the thing is, it's extremely slow. And, and the, the, the reason that we don't see it, and this is, this is really, really important. The reason we don't see it is because we are improving. And the front end of that caterpillar is moving quite well up this axis of performance. So we, we don't look at the whole caterpillar. We just look at the head and say, now in 2021, we are so much better than we were in 2015. And then we get excited and then we go and we feel good about ourselves and go to bed. But what we don't do is look at the back end of the caterpillar and realize that the vast majority of buildings are still performing worse than the benchmark we had in 2015. And in order for them to get past that 2015 benchmark will take about 20 years. So it was just the inherent slowness of a caterpillar and how it crawls up this x-axis that really got us to think about okay we can't we can't stand by and just try and cheer on this caterpillar and say come on you've got to go faster i'm sure you can do it come on we'll we'll have conferences we'll go to cop 26 we'll all stand next to this caterpillar and cheer it on and it just seemed like such a ridiculous image to me Uh, and then we looked at the as a service business model and the as a service business model is not limited by the caterpillar effect because you don't have this bell distribution that crawls along the the x-axis of the graph. You have every single customer gets the exact same level of performance. Every single customer gets the exact same level of 
if you're talking Netflix, which is what I was using as an example, they get the same content, they get the same features, they get the same user interface. And as Netflix improves, mm -hmm. overnight, every customer gets the new improvements. So I'm a Seinfeld fan. Mm -hmm. On the 1st of October, uh, Netflix brought Seinfeld on. And overnight, the whole world that's, that's plugged into the Netflix uh, as a service model got Seinfeld. It didn't take 20 years for us all to catch up and to that. Here you are, and here you are binging for days on end. I've, I've <laughs> seen the first two series yeah. already. Um, but you know, yeah. it, it, just, it just really hit me in the face that the Caterpillar takes 20 yeah. years to get somewhere. And if you move the business model and change it so you're not limited by that, it takes 20 hours to, to get everyone up to that level. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really powerful. Yeah. yeah. I think in our follow-up episode, that's another good point to dig into, which is, you know, you see people that are, again, you know, some working in earnest that maybe don't fully understand the the options for transforming models, some maybe trying to mitigate risk to the point of, you know, being detrimental to the the truth of the model. But like, you see people trying to do like, well, let's do tiered service contracts. Let's do, you know, and, and to your point, every customer gets the same thing, right? So um, I think that's another part to kind of dig into, which is what is the integrity of the model and why is it so important versus what are some of the common interpretations of the model that often lead to failure or less than, than ideal um, results? So we don't have to do that today. That's going to be our follow-up, sure. but I think it's a, a good point. Okay. So um, two more questions for today, Dave. The, the first is, um, what are your thoughts or predictions on you know, the adoption uh, of as a service um, and, uh, you know, the advancement of it related to sustainability, whatever thoughts you are thinking about the forward look of all of this over the next 12 or 18 months. So I think you'll, you'll find the adoption will steadily increase, which it has been over the last five or six years. Uh, I'm not sure when the tipping point will be. Uh, will it be in the next 12 months, 18 months, two years? I'm not sure. But I think what, in terms of, I, if I go a bit further to maybe five or 10 years, um, I am fairly confident that buildings will essentially try and servitize every part of that asset uh, from the cooling system, which we've shown it can be done with, uh, to the furniture, the office fit out. I know people are looking at doing that already the IT infrastructure. Um, there are so many people now that are looking to be asset light um, and agile. I think this is the, it's the tip of the iceberg for cooling and it's the tip of the iceberg for the entire built environment. Um, and I've seen the benefits of it. And it's, it's not revolutionary, to be honest with you, Sarah, because you know, if you change the word, instead of cooling as a service, if you called it a utility, electricity today, buildings buy from utility provider, that's electricity as a service. They buy water from a, a water utility provider. That's water as a service. So actually you're just adding cooling as a service. You will then add lighting as a service. I know many companies, I think you've spoken to some of them around lighting as a service. Um, you'll have lifts as a service. Why would you buy infrastructure for lifts in your building? Why don't you pay per floor that people travel? So technology and data and sensors in the built environment is allowing people to servitize these, 
is until now unservitizable uh, building services. So I think you'll see that happening across the entire board. It won't just it won't just stick to cooling. And I think that'll be five or two. Yeah. Years. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're going to do a follow up episode if you're willing on all sorts of different um, you know words of wisdom, lessons learned, etc. But just to summarize today's conversation, what would be your number one piece of advice for listeners? I think if you're looking at servitizing your business, uh, you will hear many, many times why it can't be done and many, many times why you need to write difficult contracts or complicated contracts in order to do it. And I think it's it's very, very simple for me. Go back to that philosophy. I was always told, ask, ask why five times. Uh, you know, and if they can't answer it on the fifth time, then you know it's not a real reason. Uh, fix it, change it a little bit. You know, ask why not five times. Mm -hmm. And every time someone gives you a follow-up, just say, why not? And why not? And you get to the fifth one and you'll realize it's you don't have to stick with the old way of doing things. So, you know, really, I mean, it's not easy. It's 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 very difficult to do. Um, there are a lot of there is a lot of business risk involved, but mm -hmm. you know you can take it step at a time. You can move towards it. Uh, you can learn from other industries. So you know we didn't develop this. We stole the idea too. You know we we stole the same idea that that all these other companies did. Uh, but it's extremely rewarding, and I think when you look at sustainability and circularity, it is the single most important thing that we can do across every industry to buy it as a service or offer it as a service. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Ask why not five times. I like that. All right, Dave. Well, thank you so, so, so much uh, for being here today. And I look forward to having you back and digging in a little bit more to some of the, the lessons learned and the, the risk conversation. Um, so thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You can find more by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn as well as Twitter at The Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening.